He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. John Katsimatidis here, and it's... uh. Where are we? Thursday already, and uh, we have one great show for you today. Uh, in the studio, we have Judge Weinberg and uh, Governor Patterson, two common-sense Democrats, and a common-sense Republican. Uh, we have uh, a former chairman of uh, the Republican Party. Uh, we have Ed Cox. How are you guys? Doing well. Terrific. Good to and, be here. Yep. And my sidekick here, we have uh, Lydia Serrani and. This is a TriCast, AM 970 The Answer, WABC 770, and WLIR. And we're up and down the East Coast and uh, even Canada and Northern uh, Europe. And we have a great show for you guys tonight. We always cover all the latest topics, the most breaking topics. We are going to speak momentarily with Ambassador John Bolton. We're also going to have a report from Ukraine, what's actually going on on the ground. Then we are going to speak with Randy Levine about MLB. It looks like we're getting a full season of baseball. We're going to have a, also a crime report. Are the streets getting any safer and better? Brock Pierce will also be with us talking about cryptocurrency. And then Dr. Mikolos has the latest medical advancement. But right now, let's go go over to Ambassador John Bolton. Hello, Ambassador Bolton. What is the latest on Ukraine? Well, it's uh, one of the stories that I think uh, historians will ponder for a long time is how it is that somehow the United States was not able to agree to the offer that Poland made to transfer to Ukraine its inventory of MiG fighter planes. Obviously, these are Russian-made. Ukrainian pilots were all trained on MiGs. These are kind of legacy uh, planes for the Polish Air Force. But because the White House was so concerned about upsetting Vladimir Putin with this transfer of planes, it looks now like it's not going to happen, even though the Ukrainians have fought heroically and really imposed substantial losses on the Russians, both in terms of uh, manpower and uh, materiel, like, like planes. Uh, the, the Ukrainians have obviously suffered some pretty significant losses as well. And getting these planes uh, would have been considerably uh, important in the days ahead. Uh, and yet now it's not going to happen. And I, I really I, I can't wait for Congress to uh, uh, to get on to this. It's just absolutely stunning at this critical moment that we were not willing to give the Ukrainian military this this important uh, asset. After you. Uh, Russians made any, any uh, advances on any city that uh, they, they haven't taken a city yet, have they? No, but the, the reports that are coming in today uh, indicate that they are uh, finally maybe getting their act together around Kiev. The, the heavy shelling around Kharkiv in the north continues. Uh, I think they're getting ready to press on Odessa, the Black Seaport. There are reports of Russian ships uh, doing some shelling and attacks today, maybe maybe the early stages. And and the big thing that I don't think the press is covering accurately is the possibility that Russian forces from the south and the north would meet in the eastern part of the country and cut off substantial Ukrainian forces that have been along the line of uh, conflict with those so-called secessionist provinces in the east. Uh, the fact is, even though the Russians have made mistake after mistake, their logistics have been terrible. There's just film today of a, a substantial Russian tank convoy being ambushed and three Russian tanks blown up, pictures taken by a Turkish drone. 
the weight of Russia's forces uh, is still is still being felt, and I think will be felt more. So that that's why I think it's an especially important time. We ought to be doing everything we can to find ways to help the Ukrainians within within the limits that Joe Biden has set, and uh, and yet yet that's not happening. John, this is David Patterson. I feel that uh, the Russians have been so poor. Uh, they had uh, uh, convoys where they all ran out of gas. I mean, they have the first night when they were shooting uh, down the planes, they missed. And that's what's extended this uh, war for three weeks. I, over time, they inevitably have to win. But what's embarrassing is that every move that comes out of the White House right now, and I hate to say this because I supported this administration when they ran for office, it's not only embarrassing, it's shameful. Well, look, as I say, this this example of the Polish planes is, is probably the worst to date. And uh, I just want to pick up one point you made, because I do think it's important that the people say, well, when when are, when is Putin going to negotiate? What, what's he going to do about the effect of the sanctions? Uh, and the Turks today hosted the first meeting between the Ukrainian foreign minister and the Russian foreign minister since the war began. And, and it basically got nowhere. I don't think that Putin can negotiate now that the damage, the reputational damage done to the Russian army, is, as you were saying, uh, he, he can't afford to walk away from that. He's got to do something militarily that allows him to say, OK, now I've proven what we can do. You know, now I'm prepared to talk. I don't think he's close to that yet. Ambassador Bolton, what do you make of Vice President Harris being in Poland as uh, Putin wages war? She, again, seems a little awkward and was joking around and laughing when she was asked about refugees. It's just the whole thing kind of doesn't make sense. Yeah, you know, the, the vice president's uh, political career really didn't turn much on international affairs. And, uh, uh, you know, everybody has their own career. They focus on what they focus on. Uh, I certainly haven't focused on a lot of domestic issues that are very important to people. But, you know, if if you're not sending somebody who can address the concerns of the countries they're going to and isn't well briefed, it's it's not it's not helpful. Uh, and, you know, it's uh, uh, it's another signal, I think, to Putin that the administration doesn't have its act together. He's watching very carefully. He's he, he took a gamble. It's not going that well for him, but he is tough and, and we shouldn't forget that. And he's prepared to tough it out. And I don't I don't think uh, whether it's the vice president or the secretary of state or other top officials, they've demonstrated the toughness that they need to see on our side. Is he prepared enough to use moderate nuclear weapons, John? I don't think so, because I think he knows that would trigger a NATO response. I mean, this is uh, uh, you, you can't rule it out. But but when he uh, purportedly tried to enhance the alert status of the Russian nuclear forces some some weeks ago or some days ago now, uh, uh, as the uh, intelligence agency heads uh, testified actually before Congress, they saw no concrete evidence that there had been any change in the alert status. Uh, it's not it's the battlefield is not this battlefield is not not well suited to nuclear weapons. It could harm his own troops more. I think he believes that he can still win this through conventional means. And I think uh, to, just to underline again the point I made about about trying to regain the credibility and the reputation of the Russian military, he's got to show that they can win a war against, you know, a second, third tier power like Ukraine. Ambassador, are we uh pushing Putin into a partnership with China, where originally he'd rather have a partnership with the EC? 
EU? Yeah, you know, uh, this this is a question we're going to have to face for a long time to come. I don't think we're pushing anywhere he doesn't want want to go already. I ultimately don't think that it's in the interest of Russia itself to get into a partnership with China, because unlike during the Cold War, uh, Russia is going to be the junior partner here forever. And the more they think about it, I think the less they're going to like it. But right now, I believe uh, Xi Jinping has told Putin that he'll be a backstop for him if he's pinched by economic sanctions. He can work through Chinese banks if his oil and gas sales are curtailed. That China would be happy to buy it. And, you know, long term, I think the Chinese government would much rather get oil and gas through pipelines coming overland from Russia than putting it on ships in the Persian Gulf and, and uh, traveling all the way to China. So this is something that's been working for a long time. I think uh, I think they're working closely together on this. And uh, it is bad news for the United States because we've got to deal with threats in Europe and the Middle East and the Indo-Pacific. And the two of them getting the band back together again is going to make that much more difficult. How long does this go on, Ambassador? You know, I don't. I wouldn't put an end date on it yet. As I say, if, if you if you buy the analysis that uh, that I'm making, that Putin's got to have significant military achievements, and then he can say, okay, out of the goodness of my heart, now we'll negotiate. I, I don't see where those are going to come. I think he's getting ready for a pretty big push. And and that might be enough, but but he's not there yet. So I would say weeks, uh, and maybe months. Ambassador, it's uh, it's Richard Weinberg, sir. I want to ask you what's going on with this Iran deal. Why the pressure to make this deal, and why are we allowing it to go forward? Well, I tell you, this, this is something that uh, I, I just uh, words almost fail me on this. The 2015 deal was not a good deal to begin with. We've talked about that here before. Uh, the concessions that they have made to get the Iranians to come back on board make it even worse. We're going to be unfreezing uh, substantial assets that the mullahs in Tehran can use for their nuclear program for terrorism. We're going to be allowing them back into international oil markets. Uh, and, and the thing that worries me most of all is that in their effort to get U.S. domestic uh, oil and gas prices down, I think they want Iran's oil and gas back on the market so we can buy it directly. I think this is a big mistake. It's a big mistake strategically for the United States. I honestly think it's a big political mistake for the Biden administration. I think the opposition in Congress uh, and, and possibly on a bipartisan basis we should ask Chuck Schumer what he's going to do. But I, I think it's going to be overwhelming. It's going to be a firestorm. Ambassador, this is uh, Ed Cox. Uh, what lessons do you think President Xi of China is taking from uh, what uh, Putin is doing with Ukraine and the sanctions and the impact of the sanctions as he's thinking about what he will do with respect to Taiwan? Well, Ed, I think that's a critical question, and I'm afraid he's drawing lessons that we're not going to like. I mean, we have seen uh, some effective sanctions imposed on Russia, but we've also seen sanctions that are full of loopholes, including, you know, belatedly, we say we're not going to buy Russian oil and gas. And the Germans say, well, count us out of that. We're going to we're going to keep doing it, as will many other Europeans. And I think what Xi Jinping is looking at in particular is that. When the West can't get its act together, when we can't stay united, dealing with an economy as small as Russia's, when you look at the big picture, it's a pretty small economy, um, uh, about the size of the Netherlands. Um, 
uh, oil and gas, very important to the Europeans. But if you can't disentangle from an economy that small and hit it with punishing economic sanctions, how hard is it going to be for us if we have to consider comparable action against China? And I think in Xi Jinping's mind and his advisors, they're saying we are much stronger here than the Russians, and we can withstand a lot more, which which is very worrying for the implications of, as you say, what they might try and do on Taiwan or elsewhere. Very worrisome indeed. Thank you so much, Ambassador John Bolton. And keep us posted. Thank you so much for keeping the truth out there and calling in again to WABC Radio. Well, thank you. Thank you. Now on the line for us right now, we have Yankees president, Randy Levine. Hi, how are you? Oh, they didn't. Oh, wait, one second. Sorry, I forgot this part. We can finally sing this again. Tell us the breaking news, Randy. Well, hey, John, nice to talk to you. Hi, Lydia. How are you? Well, we have a tentative agreement, uh, Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association. We have a tentative agreement on a new five-year collective bargaining agreement. So uh, it's time to play ball. Uh, all the, uh, the the negotiations, uh, all the heartache, the acrimony is behind us. And, uh, you know, we're one family, and now we're going to just uh, focus on the fun part, you know, spring training, hope, and playing baseball. So we're all really happy and excited about well, it. Well, Randy, speaking of the fun part, this is David Patterson, your old law school colleague. And I want to know, does that now, what did you say? I said, how are you, Governor? I am good. Did you? Or does that reactivate the free agent market? Because the yes. Yankees haven't made too many moves yet, and I was curious as to what might happen in the next few weeks. Yes, uh, the free agent market is about to be activated. It's going to be a market like nobody's ever seen before because, you know, usually it's over time, and uh, it's going to all be compressed. And there are, I think last I looked, 300. 20, 330 free agents out there. So it should be a lot of fun for the fans over the next couple of weeks. Randy Levine, how did we even get to this point? It all seems kind of petty and almost embarrassing. Well, you know, you're kind of right. It, it, it was embarrassing. I said it was because we're all one team and what's going on in the world. It's very, very uh, people like baseball. It's a distraction. It's entertainment. It shouldn't have gotten this way. It should have never happened, but it's behind us. Uh, happens in every industry, you know, people uh, lose sight of what uh, is going on around them. And uh, thank God we put it together. And, and now it's focusing on just playing the game. When is opening game? Uh, um, that's going to all be worked out and uh, announced tonight uh, or tomorrow. Uh, as I said, it's maybe an hour or so. Uh, we just announced this maybe an hour or so ago. So all of those uh all of those details will be uh, put out either tonight or tomorrow. Uh, but it would be in the first two yeah. weeks of April, right? Probably. Yes, abs- yes it will. And yes. Randy Levine, okay, so it's the Yankees in the World Series. Who is up against you guys? Uh, we'll see. You know, <laughs> Make first, your prediction now. First, first, we're not making any predictions. First, <laughs> the only prediction is uh, let's get the spring training. It's been a long road here so far. Well, we're all happy that uh, there's going to be an opening day, and we're all, we're all happy that the Yankees are playing. And we're going to my favorite team always, 
And um, I'm from the Bronx. I have to root for the Yankees. Well, Bronx Bombers. The first game I ever right. went to, my grandfather took me to. That's right. Well, and a little point, just to remember, the person who wrote Take Me Out to the Ballpark never attended a baseball game. Wow. Randy oh. Levine, thank you so much. And uh, right, we're glad for uh, all the fans and we're glad for all of New York. And uh, God bless you and God bless the Yankees. Thank you. Thanks, guys. You'll all be up. Okay, who do we have now, uh, Lydia? Okay, we have right now on the line for us a report right from Ukraine on the ground, Daria Kalinuk. She is a co-founder and executive director of the Anti-Corruption Action Center, a powerful national organization that has shaped Ukraine's anti-corruption legislation and efforts. Uh, Daria, first of all, I hope you are somewhere safe. I'm safe. I'm actually not in Ukraine. I'm in Warsaw now. Oh, 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 okay. And tell us, now we're seeing all these horrible, I mean, it's just beyond horrific images, the maternity hospital. What happened? What happens? Russia is executing Ukrainians. Russia is losing the war against Ukrainian military. Uh, They expected to Ukraine surrender in three days after the invasion. But uh, Ukrainian army showed that uh, we're going to fight and we're going to win. They got a lot of losses, so they decided to simply throw bombs on the most vulnerable people, to hospitals, to kindergartens, to, to, to schools, to universities, and they are destroying residential buildings. They are destroying downtowns of important cities like Kharkiv, and that's the way how they are trying to pressure Ukraine uh, to surrender. Daria, this is Ed Cox. It looks like that Putin in losing is really going all out here over the next couple of days to take Kiev. He's moving in troops, not taking the cities in the east, but moving in troops from the east. The troops from the north are moving, moving, trying to go around south, cut off supplies. What do you think results from that? Well, I think, uh, you know, Russian army really lost quite a lot. Um, they got 10,000 troops. Uh, which which are killed by Ukrainian army. Um, a lot of aircrafts were downed, and it, their plan is collapsing. So the only way for them to win this war is simply keep throwing bombs into the civilians. The reason why they are uh, intimidating um, now maternity hospitals, simply throwing bombs into them, is to create... Uh, panic and to create absolute horrible conditions for uh, hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians. And their next target will be humanitarian corridors. They are already throwing missiles into people who are trying to evacuate. And these are Maryland women and, and, and children. Uh, so the, the only option for us to stop this uh, massacre uh, to stop this genocide is to get support from our western allies including the united states for protection of our sky we need air defense systems we need um fighter jets uh and other weapons which is uh important to protect sky from russian bombs and then we're going to win this war and then we're going to help um hundreds of thousands of people to survive, to evacuate to the most horrible conditions. In Mariupol, they don't, ho- they don't have um, electricity. They don't ha- have heat. And it's cold now. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's almost winter. Uh, there is no food and no supply with 
uh, medication, and civilians are, are being buried in the uh, in, in in in. It's even impossible to bury them normally. This is what Putin did in Grozny. It's what Putin did in Syria. So this is this is what he does. Do you think he should be tried for war crimes in The Hague? I think there has to be established a separate tribunal for him, like it was established for Hitler, uh, the new Nuremberg Tribunal. Because uh, in Hague, you know, International Criminal Court um, doesn't have proper jurisdictions. Um, it's not, you know, ratified by Russia. And, uh, but, you know, I'm... I. I'm sure the trial for uh, Putin will happen and he will war criminals. It will happen sooner or later. I'm concerned now is how to rescue 400,000 people from Mariupol, how to rescue other civilians who are now sitting in bomb shelters without heat and electricity. And he keeps them as hostages. And the entire world, we, we feel the compassion from uh, people all across the world who are trying to send their money for humanitarian aid. But this humanitarian aid is not delivered to those who are the most in need. It stays at the border. It stays in Western Ukraine. But without closing the sky, um, we are not able to, to deliver this aid and we are not able to rescue um, uh, civilians. Hundreds of thousands of them might die in the coming days, and it will be a, a, a new Auschwitz, new, new genocide. We need to get on board NATO member states to help us and not be afraid to provoke Putin. Well, thank you so much, Daria Kalanick. Again, you are the co-founder and executive director of the Anti-Corruption Action Center. Uh, thank you for keeping uh, the, the truth out there. And anything we can do here at WABC Radio for the Ukrainian people, please let us know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And now we'll go to break. And uh, when we come back, we'll be speaking with uh, Mona Davids. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Well, we're back. Uh, this is Cats at Night. John Katsimatidis here. And I understand now we have a lady on. Right. She's going to be talking to us about the crime that is spiraling out of control here in New York City. Did you see that latest hammer attack on the another Asian person in the subway? That person, they caught him very quickly, the police. It was just a well, random attack. Let me 40, tell you something. Forty-something arrests again. Forty-seven this time, John. Well, let me tell you something. The uh, Well, in Albany, the state Senate and the state, and the state assembly... You know, they got to come to reality. Enough with this uh, non-bail law. What do, what do you say, Governor? Well, I couldn't agree more. The uh, Today, the governor was at the Police Athletic League luncheon, John, and it was a packed house. And she said that there's going to be a tremendous effort to restore safety and law in our neighborhoods through her budget. And so we'll be... Looking to but see. But the biggest problem is the Assembly and the State Senate have the ability to override her. Is that correct? They both have two thirds majority. So they theoretically could override her, her uh, vetoes and they could pass their own laws knowing that if she vetoes them, they can, they can come back and o- override it. Which is exactly why you should not ever, whether, whatever the party is, allow these supermajorities that can push through. You have, have absolute power. 
They have absolute oh, power. Your Honor, I wish you were around in 2003 when I sued the New York State Legislature for exactly that purpose. I, and I, I was around, and you're absolutely right then, and I'm absolutely right now, Governor. We can't allow this to happen. We have to take real action. The governor should be supporting the mayor. They need to change these laws. And they keep saying they need data. The data is out there in the streets day in and day out. They're full of crap. That's exactly what John. Let's talk and see how the neighborhoods are. Lydia? Right. And we're seeing that the majority of people that are being killed and that are victimized by all the crime are people of color, people in the inner city, in the same neighborhoods, young, young people, specifically teenagers. Right now we have on the line for us Mona Davids. She is the founder and president of the New York City Parents Union Mona Davids, the last time we spoke, you had said something very profound that stuck with me. You said that your greatest fear was your 13-year-old son walking down the street and getting shot and killed by someone who looks just like him. Do you still have that fear? Do you think things have gotten better? How do you feel right now? Uh, Thanks for having me. I still feel that way. I am not the only mother that feels that way. Um, Our big concern what terrifies us is that you know harm is going to come to our sons and daughters and right now in our communities gun violence this rampant gun violence is out of control in addition to assaults robberies and other lawlessness and the state legislature um andrea stewart cousins uh, Call Hasty are doing nothing, nothing to protect our communities, nothing to protect our children and our families. And, you know, it's really it's it's unconscionable that they are so stubborn. And that's why myself and many other mothers, including Jackie Rowe Adams from Harlem Mother Save, that is why we are all organizing to push back. Because we need to put the interests of our communities and our children first, because clearly the legislators are putting their interests first. Mona, this is David Patterson. You mentioned a a legend in fighting for young people, Jackie Rowe Adams. I've worked with her for 30 years. And uh, I haven't seen the outrage, even back in the 80s, that type of crime was more compartmentalized. It was the crack epidemic. You know, as long as you stayed away from it, it didn't come near you. But now you can be attacked anywhere in the city. And young people are attacking other young people for reasons that are beyond my understanding. Well, a large, a a very big part of that, um, and we're seeing this also in our schools with the school safety crisis that's going on. See, and it comes down to these criminal justice reforms and the bail reform laws. Right now, we have young people who know that they will not be held accountable for gun possession. And then we have gang leaders who are using the young people to carry the guns and commit the crimes because they know that those teenagers will be transferred to family court and will go home in, you know, and be returned uh, in the custody of their parents. That's the thing. The criminals know the law and the criminals know that the laws right now, as they stand, are there to protect them, not there to protect the victims, not there to protect the public. The laws are now only protecting the there's an easy, of the criminals. There's an easy, Ms. Davis, there's an easy change, separate and apart from the bail reform, 
change, which I agree 100%. This is uh, Judge Richard Weinberg. I am telling you, you have a simple change. They changed the age to prosecute kids to 18 from 16 years of age and putting them in family court. You have to roll that back, bring it back down to 16 years of age, keep it out of the family court, keep it in the Supreme Court, treat it like the felony it is with with long sentences, so the gangs and the cartels cannot use these kids. And what about making gun possession, illegal gun possession, automatic, go to jail two years, and don't pass think uh, Mona Davids again. Mona Davids is the founder and president of the New York City Parents Union. Well, um, for myself and many other uh, parents out there, look, anyone who is in a possession of, of a gun – has no good intentions. If you are in possession of a gun, you plan on using that gun. Otherwise, you wouldn't have that gun. So as far as we're concerned, anyone that is arrested on gun possession charges must be must be held accountable. Don't pass go. This is about protecting our children, our families, and our communities. Enough is enough. So we need accountability. We need them to change these laws. And as Judge Weinberg said, we need to revisit uh, the raise the age legislation. And that is exactly what mothers throughout the city plan on doing. Led by, as uh, Governor Patterson knows, led by Jackie Rowe Adams. Mona Davids, we, we, have, to, back. we have to go to break. If you could say something, uh, Governor Hochul or any of the other leaders, uh, even the legislators up in Albany, what would you want to say to them? To please put the safety of our children before criminals. That's what I want to say to them. That's a put great way to say it. First. That's a great way That's to it. say it. That's it. That's it. Well, thank Thank you you. so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Mona Davids. And we will be talking coming up about Bitcoin. John, what do you think about Bitcoin? Well, I got a friend of mine coming on. I'm I'm not going to make a comment on it right now. (laughs) We got Brock Pierce coming on and and he is a big advocate of Bitcoin. And and I haven't bought any. So I don't know. Let's take a break and we'll come back with Brock Pierce. Talk Radio 77 WABC. <laughs> John Katsimatidis. 77 WABC. We're back. Uh, this is John Katsimatidis. And while we're waiting for Brock Pierce to get on, on the show, uh, let's talk to Ed Cox. And uh, Ed, uh, you are leading the, the fight on uh, redistricting where uh, – you feel the Democrats have changed around so much that it violated the laws. And uh, Judge Weinberg, I understand your wife is leading the other side for the Democratic Party. And my wife is an independent lawyer, and she does not speak for me, and I do not speak for her. I'm with, Ed, Ed, I'm with Ed Cox. <laughs> I'm with Ed Cox on this issue. Yeah, no, I mean, let's, let's be clear. When you're, when you're rolling around in bed, you don't talk. Believe me, it's been a long time since we've rolled around a bed. <laughs> your Honor, you are a common sense Democrat. Here, here, Your Honor, that. you're also yeah. an honest man. The Ed, world's Ed been Cox, waiting to find what one. What the heck is going on? I mean, they took districts and put them into two different counties. Oh, it's very five. simple. The, five. The, we just talked about the Democrats have super majorities in both houses of the leg- state legislature. That means they can overrule the governor anytime they they want. Uh, and they want to hold on to that. 
So they have drawn districts so they will have permanent supermajorities for the next 10 years until the next census. And we've got a group together that's representing plaintiffs all over the state who are saying these districts aren't fair. They don't comply with the new amendments to the Constitution, which are very specific, that you can't be helping parties. You can't do it to help certain candidates. And we're going to make sure that the courts take a good look at it. We've got a big hearing coming up on Monday. Big absolute hearing. power corrupts absolutely. That's exactly and, it. And uh, we got to do something to, uh, to to fix that because everybody deserves a fair vote. I mean, look, the fact, the fact of the matter is these lines were cut with a partisan – agenda. It's perfectly clear. For example, let's take the Long Island, the Long Island district, five counties, John, five counties. So in a very real sense, they've disenfranchised the people on Long Island from having any kind of representation. Wow. Well, that's the congressional sense. district they drew. That's, that's correct. But it's, they're, they're it's, doing it through, listen, the redistricting phenomena, the congressional lines, the assembly lines, and the Senate lines, it's the pack. All those legislative bodies with Democrats with super majorities. John, you won't believe this district. It's North Shore in Suffolk, North Shore in Nassau. Then it goes to Queens. Then it goes to uh, the, Bronx. the Bronx and then to Westchester. Right oh to the border God. of Connecticut. Yeah. Whose district is that right now? That district is longer than 28 states. Oh, my God. On the line with us, I understand Brock Pierce is on. Brock Pierce knows this uh, theme song. Brock, do you remember the song? Yeah, well, uh, you, de- you definitely know how to give me an opening. <laughs> <laughs> now, Brock Pierce is also uh, your chairman of the Bitcoin uh, uh, Foundation. Mm-hmm. Foundation. T- tell Foundation, us about that. yes. Tell us uh, about that. The Bitcoin that. Foundation was the first organization set up early in the industry's development to finance development of the underlying code base, the open source code base, uh, to be a, an interface for uh, conversations with the media, an interface to, to effectively interact with government. Because Bitcoin is an open source system that's decentralized. No one owns or controls it. For call it the legacy system or the analog world, that's very confusing at first. And so you needed an organization that could interact and and do things on behalf of the industry. And so it's been around for over a decade. It was responsible for all the core sort of uh, uh, development of of Bitcoin for a very long time, as well as interfacing with governments, industry events. Um, That now has um, been dispersed and there's now many organizations in the world. And the main work that it does today is it's talking to world leaders all around the planet about how Bitcoin uh, can be good for their countries, El Salvador being uh, the most recent major event. El Salvador has made Bitcoin legal tender, legal currency. And when before this happened, only 30% of the population of El Salvador had banking or financial services. 70% of the population used cash. In just six months after that law took effect, It's now 70 percent of the population has access or uses financial services for Bitcoin and digital dollars. And so the the issue of financial inclusion in the world, how do we take care of people that don't have access to banking or basic financial tools? For decades, we've been talking about it. There's been very little progress made. And clearly in El Salvador, Bitcoin was the answer from 30 percent to 70 percent in six months. 
By the way, let's, let's not keep everybody in a mystery. We never told them. The Tell us the name of the movie. Oh, Mighty Ducks. He oh, knows. Mighty my, Ducks. He knows. Yes. My, Brock Pierce, yeah, you, were, so, you were adorable. You're still adorable. Yeah, you were very I, cute. <laughs> when you were I, started, I started life as an actor. I was made in Minnesota, and so I made my first movie at 10, The Mighty Ducks. You know, we love that flying V, that V for victory, or Vermont, <laughs> as the case may be. And then uh, I was blessed enough to, uh, to star in a movie called First Kid where I played the son of the president of the United States of America with Sinbad as my Secret Service agent with some wonderful cameos from the likes of Bill Clinton and Sonny Bono. Wow. Wow. Now, I understand you, you, have a, uh, you like politics, and now you're thinking of running, what, for the U.S. Senate? I am uh, I'm officially filed as of last November for a U.S. Senate run out of Vermont. Uh, I've moved to Vermont, and uh, uh, I've been in a, an exploratory phase, which has really been a listening tour to talk to as many people as I can to build consensus amongst the people of Vermont uh, to make sure that I'm not just this guy being presumptuous coming in saying, hey, I know what's best for you as someone that didn't grow up there, a lot of family from there. But uh, so far, the conversation Brock, has been do you, uh, do you know how to milk a unanimous. Cow? Yes, please come run here. Brock, do you know how to milk a cow? Um, I, I I wouldn't say I know how. I have milked a cow. Um, I was actually just in Israel two weeks ago at a kibbutz uh, checking out their dairy farming uh, and how they've built, uh, you know, effectively a co-op for community. But uh, no, I didn't grow. I, well, I'm from Minnesota, so I, I did spend a lot of my life on farms as a kid. But uh, I wouldn't call myself an expert, but uh, I could get the job done. So, so Brock, it's, it's Richard Weinberg. Let me ask you, so you're considering running for the, uh, for the Senate. Are you registered as a Democrat or Republican or as an independent? I've been an independent my entire life. You know, I, I really think of myself as an American that's practical. I've been doing all sorts of things my entire life, things that I didn't know how to do, and I learned how to do it quickly. I learned by doing. And uh, I, I don't think that economic issues are all that matter. I don't think that social issues are all that matter. It's not this or, it's this end. And we live in a time of great complexity, and you need practical people that know how to build bridges and, and build uh, concept that's somewhere in the middle. Uh, Brock Pierce, again, we are speaking with Brock Pierce, and he is serves as the chairman of the Bitcoin Foundation. There is talk about, you know, banning Bitcoin to isolate Russia is that possible? Do you think it would work? You know, and a lot of people worry that Bitcoin leads to unsavory activities because it can't be traced or this or that. What do you have to say to that? Well, it's it's unfortunately not true. Um, it's an open system with a public ledger where every transaction that occurs on the Bitcoin network is visible to everyone on Earth that wants to look. It's basically a, a, a giant ledger like a bank account of all things. And every transaction that occurs on the ledger is visible to anyone in the world that wants to look at it. It's public and transparent, um, every account and every transaction being visible. In terms of banning it, also not possible. Uh, it's decentralized. There's no organization that owns or controls it. You could ban it in a particular country, which wouldn't stop it, wouldn't, uh, uh, wouldn't break Bitcoin. It would just make Bitcoin less accessible to the people that live in those countries. And clearly it would cause all of the businesses that operate there to fail and move somewhere else. Wow. 
So, I, I, John, John, you've you have yet to buy Bitcoin. What's the hesitation? Brock says there's no no I worry about think it. I understand it. And it's um, and, and so, by the way, uh, what today? Speaking of things, today's a very big day. Uh, the White House um, uh, uh, had been talking about issuing an executive order related to Bitcoin, digital currency, digital assets, and obviously, when it's coming through an executive order out of the White House and not legislation that's got a a, a process. You never know what you're going to get. And uh, uh, the White House's uh, executive order came out very positively. The markets have responded very positively. Uh, 40, over 40 million Americans own cryptocurrency at this point. Those are the latest numbers. And so this is a very important constituency. We're going to see its impact in the midterm elections. It's also a constituency with a lot of money and they're single issue voters and so right now, I think what we're going to be seeing, and I think that what it came out of the White House today is indicative of it, that uh, both political parties are definitely going to, um, I think, likely try to appeal to this very important voter block that are single issue voters and they've got a lot of money. And the question is, are the two trillion dollars of capital held by this community you know, going to go to the Democrats or the Republicans? And I think most people would have thought the Republicans would have been the main beneficiaries but the, the executive order today, I think, shows very positively for the Democrats. Well, Brock Pierce, thank you for coming on today. And uh, uh, keep on uh, trotting. And uh, <laughs> Thank you so much, Brock. And when we come music. back. When we come back, we have the latest medical on the advance or revolution going on. Everything that you need to know. Dr. Mikolos got it, our renaissance medical genius, right here at WABC. We'll be right back. This is the 77 WABC Sports Update. Multiple outlets report that the Players Association have voted yes on the latest proposal from Major League Baseball. The Athletic reports that the players voted 26 to 12 in favor of the deal. As soon as the deal does receive that ratification, it appears free agency will open and spring training will finally begin. Baseball is back. Hallelujah. The lockout officially lasted 99 days. With a plethora of marquee names still free, agents look for an absolute frenzy over the next few weeks. I'm not expecting the Mets to be very busy at all, but all you Yankee fans out there, buckle up. The Yanks have a few glaring holes in their rotation and at first base, so look for the Bombers to address that immediately. With all due respect, I wish all you Yankee fans nothing but the worst. Let's go Mets. What a time to be alive. For 77 WABC Sports, I'm Mike Tadino. You're commuting home with Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis on we, 77 WABC. We are back. John Katsimatidis here, along with Lydia Serrani, uh, Ed Cox, and... Uh, Judge Weinberg, who's Judge in trouble. Judge Richard Weinberg, and, and uh, he's in trouble with his wife. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, not the first fault. time. Not your the first time. Won't be the last. It's your fault, John. <laughs> Governor Patterson left. He left. He left. He almost left with the headphones on, That's and then Ed Cox, Cox, Ed Cox saved, saved his life. Well, saved his life right there. Right now, we have Dr. Peter Michalos on, and uh, uh, Dr. Peter, how are you today? I'm doing great, John, and great to be with the Cats at Night team tonight. We have a lot of uh, interesting things going on. I can start with. Uh, something called Cellular Rejuvenation Therapy, a paper that was published today uh, about resetting the age of older mice. We talked about this with these Yamanaka genes, which are basically at the Salk Institute and Genetech partnered. And uh, they basically took 
cells and found that we do have a molecular clock that can be altered with these OSK Yamanaka factors, which basically what they do is they put them inside the body, they activate them, and they take adult cells and reprogram them to be younger, so cells resist stress and disease. So we're finding out that aging is actually a disease, and if you can slow aging down many of the things like Alzheimer's and cardiovascular disease and less prevalent, so this was successfully done in mouse. We talked about how they did it with eyes in mice and regenerated eyesight, so we're gonna be hearing a lot about this OSK gene therapy uh, that's uh, happening and it started in Japan with Dr. Yamanaka and Dr. Sinclair did the eye work up at Harvard. So we'll be hearing a lot more about that and uh, other other uh, news we, we were going to mention about uh, electric cars that Russia is the number three producer of nickel in the world, which is used for mobile phones, electric car batteries and to make stainless steel. The price just doubled from 50,000 a ton to 100,000 a ton. So they're saying that they estimate that each electric car now will go up in price $1,000 a car because of all these rare earth metals that are needed to make these cars, including Russia's one of the largest producers of palladium, which is needed in semiconductors. So we'll be seeing that ripple effect as well, uh, in addition to having to uh, depend more on foreign oil and uh, foreign sources. And there's no time soon. We're going to have uh, tanks and uh, military vehicles running on uh, batteries anytime soon. And we're just putting ourselves in a bad situation. And the winner, of course, is going to be uh, China, which, of course, is a great country. And they're super smart people. And they're uh, going to be selling us all these electric car batteries and mobile phone batteries. Well, if China is going to make all the electric cars and all the batteries and, uh, and Russia... Uh, is going to stay with gas because they're the uh, gas station of the world, and um, maybe they should make more electric cars and, and call them Ruskies. And, uh, yeah, more well, gas they also, cars. They, they also have 30% of the world's gold reserves, and they're only in debt $323 billion, and we're in debt $30 trillion. The other fascinating thing that nobody's been talking about, except you can hear here on WABC, is that there was a coronal mass injection the other day. And what's that? Basically a sun flare that extended like 2 million miles long. That's like putting 250 Earths side by side together. And what actually happened was one of these uh, solar flares in January 22nd, it pulled down 40 Starlink satellites shortly after they were put up into space. So this is a, a real thing where these solar flares and this electromagnetic electromagnetic energy is being propelled through space and it can uh, if it's strong enough it can actually cause one of these events like happened in 1859 which simulates an emp and can take out satellites and affect a lot of the uh, grids and electrical uh, power but our geomagnetic uh, field around the earth the electromagnetic field protects us but when those solar storms made of hot gases and uh, electromagnetic particles come by the earth. That's what causes the uh, aurora borealis that we see up in the uh, Arctic and in northern Canada, sometimes even in northern New York. And uh, tonight's a night where you might be able to even see that. So that's also fascinating. And the uh, sun has been extremely active and it's at one of its peak cycles of generating these solar flares uh, that uh, generate a lot of uh, energy that is uh, sometimes depending if it's facing the earth, it comes towards 
the earth. So those are some of the uh, interesting things that are um, happening in the world of uh, space, in the world of regenerative therapy and anti-aging, and uh, of course the rare earth metals and how uh, we're really learning that this electric uh, vehicle uh, push and Green New Deal is turning out to be a disaster and making us weaker and weaker by the day and dependent on supply chains of other countries that are not reliable partners necessarily. I understand today the FDA, was it, approved the new... The uh, eye drop. We were we we saw something. Uh, it was like a breaking news thing. It's called Vuity. Have you heard about this? Yeah, the, yeah. The, it's a it's a it's a medicine that's about fifty years old. It's basically pilocarpine, which uh, is used for glaucoma, and it constricts the pupil. The problem with that is that yes, it constricts the pupil, which simulates squinting. It's called the pinhole effect. The problem is, let's say you have a retinal problem or a bleed in the back of your eye and you have to dilate that person's eye. When you use those medicines chronically, it atrophies the dilating muscles of the eye, and then your pupil doesn't dilate properly. So if you were to have a retinal tear, retinal detachment, and actually one of the side effects is not that often, but people get retinal detachment because you're stretching and closing the iris. The other problem is when you night driver at night, what does your pupil do? It's supposed to dilate. So all these people are going to have trouble with night driving. You walk into a movie theater, you're not going to be able to see in front of you. You're going to have issues with night driving. So it's not, you know, this has been around a long time. It's just an old medicine that's been uh, repurposed. But again, does it work? Yes. If you constrict the pupil, simulate squinting. But there are side effects, and uh, I'm I'm not uh, recommending it anytime soon to anybody, especially people who have uh, potential retinal issues where you have to be able to readily see the back of the eye. So, uh, it, you know, it, it sounds good, but it's basically uh, it's just a, a repurposed uh, 50-year-old medicine that we use forever, but nobody was uh, nobody really wanted to use it. Why are they pushing it, it now, doctor? Purpose. Why all of a sudden uh, are they pushing well, it again? Because they spend millions of dollars in getting it through the FDA. It's not there is no real patent or intellectual property on it. That expired a long time ago. It's just a... It's just a fad right now, and, uh, you know, again, will it work? Yes, it'll temporarily constrict your pupil, but then again, at night, your pupil needs to dilate, so it doesn't dilate. If you have a retinal problem, a retinal tear, flashing lights and floaters, and then you have to see an ophthalmologist, and they need to dilate your eye, and your eye is now pinpoint closed, how do you see the back of the eye? So these are things that haven't really been fully discussed, and again, this is my opinion. There's obviously different opinions, but I don't have any proprietary interest in any of these things. But I just, the way I practice, uh, the way I think is what would I want done for myself? And uh, I'm not ready to go ahead and uh, and use anything, uh, use anything like that. Uh, Dr. Peter Michalos, thank you so much for coming on and just giving us an update on uh, all the things that uh, so many people are interested in. And thank you always, and uh, God bless, and uh, we'll catch up real thank soon. Thank you, and- Thanks for getting the truth out always on the Cats Roundtable. Thank you. Judge Weinberg, we're at the end of the show. Thank you for what you do. Ed Cox, thank you. Uh, Lydia Serrani, and God bless New York. God bless uh, America. And God bless the Ukrainian people. And keep them safe.